So if I was to say that I wear my turban for my culture, not my religion, do I do I bypass the bill in Quebec? Right. Like the, these are the conversations we're having now is like, it, you know, what is your terms of, of, of reference for religion? On the count of three. One, two. Hi, I'm Ramnik Johal. And I'm Carol Eugene Park. This is Decomplicated. Happy Monday, Ramnik. Happy Monday, Carol. What's up? Oh, it's a Monday Monday. I'm tired. Um, <laughs> It's, you know, it's living, we're living large. We're living large. How are you? I'm good. What are we talking about today? So today we're going to be unpacking and talking about Bill 21. So Bill 21 is also known as Quebec's secularism law. It is a law in Quebec that is banning teachers, police officers, judges, lawyers, people working in public services from wearing religious symbols. So this includes hijabs, turbans, crosses, and yarmulkes. Um, and it also mandates that you cannot have your face covered when giving or receiving specific public services, including public transit, public doctors, dentists, midwives, daycares, school boards, etc. So this bill is not new. Uh, it has been around and it is something that was a big topic of discussion before the pandemic, there were many protests in Quebec almost on a regular basis protesting this law. And most recently, uh, so Quebec's court ruled that that Quebec secularism law does violate the basic rights of religious minorities in the province. But those violations are permissible because the Constitution's notwithstanding clause, according to a superior court in April. But they did also say that those restrictions cannot be applied to English language schools. So because English schools are trying to foster diversity, um, this is protected by the minority language education rights and the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And so that particular section is not covered by the notwithstanding clause. So long story short, Bill 21 in Quebec is alive and well. And the reason we're talking about that today is because, especially in light of what had happened last week in London, Ontario, there's a much larger national conversation about Islamophobia and anti-Muslim hate. Um, and although it has been said that Bill 21 is targeting all religious symbols, the language in the bill points out that it is about face coverings. And if we read between the lines hijabs, niqabs, those are the things that people are using for face coverings. And those are the things that people are getting criticized for. Um, and so that's why this ties into what's happening in London. So this is all to say that our politicians across the board, across every party, um, have had their kind of input. They've had their opinions. And Trudeau, our prime minister is definitely one of them. He so he so in so when the London terrorist attack happened, he did call it a terrorist attack in parliament. But um, as we noted in our previous episodes, when he was asked about Bill Twenty One, uh, he was pretty much insinuating that uh, Quebec had to figure it out themselves. The federal uh, federal government could not enforce anything. And to the question about fostering of discrimination and hatred, he said that the bill 
did not do that. And one thing that we found interesting is he did say that he believes that the COVID pandemic, which besides anti-maskers, everyone else is wearing masks. He said that that might have changed Quebecers' opinions on religious symbols. I don't get that logic, but if that is how you want to rationalize uh, people's changed behaviors to whatever extent, fine. And he also said that he wouldn't be surprised if in the coming weeks and months, there could be a change uh, in just general attitudes about religious symbols in Quebec because I suppose people are now more accustomed to seeing partially visible faces. So even if he is correct, I guess, I don't know. I mean, if it took a pandemic for you to to stop being so afraid of people's uh, head coverings, I don't know, maybe that's some kind of win, but that seems really sus to me. And um, I think you need to get your priorities straight. So that was Trudeau's comments. But one thing that a lot of people were questioning was like, why can't the federal government just simply enforce Uh, these rules or just say, hey, you can't do that, Quebec. Stop being discriminatory and we're going to not allow this to happen. And the reason is because you cannot, federally, you cannot get involved in provincial politics. Provinces have their own governments. They have their own uh, set of laws that they can create. And there is a reason we have uh, three different systems of government. They all have their different sectors that they are responsible for. And it would be, I guess, against our country's constitution, whatever, for the federal government to impose their power on provinces and municipalities, uh, because that's simply just not the way that this nation was founded, created. So there are boundaries that each government at whatever uh, level needs to abide by. Um, But I wanted to add, actually, I came across a CBC article actually from April 2021 that was covering this Quebec court decision that uh, provided some receipts on Justin Trudeau. And in 2019, when he was seeking re-election, he did say during a debate that he was the only one on the stage who has said, quote, yes, a federal government might have to intervene on this because the federal government needs to protect minority rights, needs to protect language rights. It's awkward politically, end quote. So he did acknowledge that it was politically awkward because it is a popular legislation in Quebec. And because like Carol mentioned, these jurisdiction lines get tricky between provincial and federal levels. But in a statement, Jagmeet Singh said that it isn't a surprise, um, the legal the court ruling in April 2021. And he said that he is against the law. But then Mr. Trudeau said, we saw that there was a decision. We recognize that there are legal proceedings underway. And when he was asked about when the government might intervene, he said, quote, we're not there, end quote. So this was in April of 2021. And now months later, um, we have this tragedy in London, but Quebec lawmakers and Quebec politicians are are saying not to link the two things together. And they are saying that the type of Islamophobia that was present in London uh, is not the same as what is the rationale behind Bill 21. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Carol. The hypocrisy is undeniably hilarious to me because I think for many people, they are, they're connected. There's no denying that. A bill, regardless of if you think it's just a piece of paper that politicians vote against or or whatever, it trickles down to the social 
ways that we exist in our society. And I mean, like we said before, these are these types of laws, motions, bills, whatever, they create excuses for people who have these very racist thoughts to enact their violence because they know time and time again, people like the Black Quebecois leader will say, they're not related. It was a coincidence. Anyway, all this to say is you can't just assume a piece of paper won't have its effects. Every small thing that we do, every small thing, statement, behavior that our politicians publicly make, it has its consequences. We look up to our politicians, not me, but a lot of people do. And if you see someone that you see as a leader behave in a certain way, say certain things, you will rationalize that and you will use that as a justification to enact violence however you think that means it should be. Yeah. So, so to, to backtrack a little bit, um, both look, so Legault made comments, um, and a number of politicians in Quebec saying that do not like to the links between Quebec's bill and the events in London, Ontario would be too simplistic to make that link. Um, and Legault, uh, premier Francois Legault said that, quote, Mr. Trudeau should take note of what the majority of Quebecers want, end quote. Um, and then Bloc Quebecois leader Yves-Francois Blanchet said, um, quote, you have to really be in the hunt for a solid scapegoat to say a terrorist attack committed in London can have among its roots a law adopted by the National Assembly in Quebec, end quote. And so, like Carol said, I think if we look at the premise of the bill, if we look at the fact that it's banning religious symbols, it is most it is most affecting racialized minorities. Um, and that's kind of what we see in terms of just the pure statistics. And if you listen back to our episode on Islamophobia that we did just last week, we went through some of these statistics after the Quebec mask mosque attack that left six men dead. Um, there was a spike in hate crimes in Quebec and there, there has been, um, anti-Muslim hate is on the rise in this country and in Quebec. It has been seen in the actions and the reported violence. So although, you know, they're saying it's a stretch to compare what happened in London to what happened in Quebec, they're founded on the same sentiments. They're founded on not wanting people who don't look like them to be able to practice their way of life. If we want to say that we're a multicultural, diverse country, people should be able to practice their way of life, their, their faith without fear of of violence and without fear of being uh policed in order to have these positions in, in public jobs or public professions it's truly just embarrassing that this bill is something that we are still having to quote-unquote debate its pros and cons i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm just super open-minded so on that note who did we talk to remnik and uh yeah who did we talk to so we spoke to steven tour who is the director of a recent short film that was released on youtube called uproar so uproar is a short documentary by revive films um on bill 21 so this talks about um, and it contextualizes the fact that the bill was passed in legislation on June 16th, 2019, and has created an uproar uh, within the community since it was passed as law. So in the documentary, they follow um, 
a woman who actually moved from Quebec to BC as a result of the bill. She's a teacher and she didn't want her way of life to be threatened. Uh, she talks about how she thinks of herself as a Quebecer, but because of the way she looks and the ways that she practices her faith, um, she felt like she had no choice but to leave. Um, and so we just talk with Stephen about the implications of this bill. Stephen, who is also himself a sick turban wearing man um, and the yeah, the implications on minorities in this country and the implications on racialized minorities and Muslims, uh, especially in light of what happened in London. Let's roll the clip. I would like to introduce Stephen Tour. So Stephen is the director and producer of Uproar, which is a film, a documentary about Bill 21 uh, by Revive Films is uh, in partnership with Revive Films. Um, and so Stephen, hello, welcome. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. And before we get started, I would love to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself in your own words. Uh, who are you, Stephen? I would say my, uh, profession wise, I'm in public health. So I've completed a master's of public health. Um, that's where my passions and work lie, but, um, I'm also passionate with my own creativity um, how to explore my creativity to express myself um, as a way as an outlet for my own mental health and my well-being um, and so one of those outlets is filmmaking and um, as you've mentioned we've just uh, wrapped up our uh, sort of cycle of film festival submissions and just premiered our documentary Uproar, uh, which is on the topic of Bill 21. Um, and sort of my background, sort of a mix between my creativity and then my educational background in public health. Great. So one, let's just get started into your documentary. Uh, why did you create it? What what led you to create it? Yeah, so my motivation behind Uproar really stemmed from during my time in school. So while I was completing my master's of public health at Queen's University, um, Kingston's not too far from Montreal. It's about an hour, two hour, two hour train ride. And, um, you know, I got a chance to visit the community while I was out there a few times during the protests, um, community gatherings, and uh, really get a chance to meet with the community, feel the sentiments and see how this, how the community was doing during the time um, just before COVID. So, you know, the community was very, very much fatigued. There was a lot of uh, burnout that I was witnessing. And as someone that was an outsider, I wanted to provide as much support as I could. Yeah, the motivations were really to support the community and get this concept out there. And I think as much as we've seen it in the news, you know, like there was a lot of noise about it the the bill 21 during the elections but it was at a political level it was at a federal level and it was sort of i don't know it, it wasn't it wasn't really taking the issue further it wasn't looking at it in-depthly you know taking in actual uh canadians that were being impacted so part of our reasons for making the documentary was to have these voices heard you know some of these unique voices people of color uh people from minorities from the community who are being deeply impacted by this bill um their own words and their own stories from from their perspectives. And so that was the motivation behind Uproar. And so to backtrack a little bit. So for, for those who do not know, Bill 21 is a bill in Quebec that's banning uh, teachers, police officers, judges, lawyers, those working in public services from wearing their religious symbols. Um, and also it mandates that you cannot have your face covered while receiving public services as well. Uh, and so, Stephen, you talked about how you had conversations with people that 
were impacted. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those conversations? Who did you talk to and kind of what were the impacts on these people? Like you said, uh, one person, Amrit Kaur, had to leave uh, Quebec as a result. But yeah, what was the most striking thing that that you learned through this process? Yeah, so Amrit's story is definitely the most uh, compelling because of, you know, we we got a chance to interview her parents and we got a chance to interview her brother. So her whole family was in the in the documentary. And um, the day she graduated, it's almost poetic. The day she graduated in the morning, the bill was uh, passed in legislature in the evening. So it was the same day she graduated that she was told that she wasn't allowed to teach with her turban on. And it's just so staggering to hear that from her parents and from herself and just seeing the emotions that you could clearly tell how perplexed they were. In one side, you're, you know, you're feeling so happy and ecstatic that your child now in this land of new opportunity has just completed education everything you've worked so hard for your whole life you know as immigrants you've worked so your so your child could have all these opportunities and it's it's snatched away from them not even at the at the their own peril it's it's at the hands of the government right so hearing that was 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 unreal it was uh definitely a surreal moment sitting inside Umrit's house interviewing her parents and feeling these emotions so i think that was probably the the peak of 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 uh our interviews with Amrit and her family and you know Amrit's mom actually there was a moment where we we had to stop filming because you know they had uh, started breaking down and we could just really feel the raw emotions and and just was was such a difficult conversation so we're so appreciative of their family for opening up and sharing their story because it takes an immense amount of courage even since premiering our documentary we've been getting so many messages and comments about you know if you don't like it here go leave go to a different province you know like you don't have to live here. Our rules are our way of living. That's it. Live by them or don't. Um, and quite literally, that's what Amrit had to do. She had to move provinces. Can you tell us about who is Biltage Singh Dillon and what struggle did he have to go through that is related to to Bill 21? Yeah, so in retired inspector Biltage Singh Dillon is a former RCMP officer. Um in 1989, he had applied to be a part of the RCMP, but was rejected because he had he was wearing a turban. And so he was um, the first person to sort of put up a fight and, you know, say like, hey, no, we should accept the turban. And instead of, you know, cutting his hair, taking his turban off, he decided to take the challenge on and, and actually, you know, proceed to the Supreme Court. You know, being allowed to finally wear a turban in the RCMP, you know, they made uh, an exemption. Uh, the RCMP made an exemption to allow the turban and have, uh, you know, uh, RCMP members wear turbans on the job. It was quite a revolutionary turn in, in Canadian society because at this point, you know, we hadn't seen any turban RCMP members. And it's so important to have a reflection of the community you're serving in the police force. You know, with this bill, what we're really saying at the end of the day, he mentions it in the film, is that, you know, we can't, if you can't even trust one another, that's this, what this, this is what it's saying is that, you know, because you're wearing a turban or a hijab, we can't trust you to be a judge. We can't trust you to be a police officer because you're going to let those values and those ideals seep into your workplace. So you don't even have the ability to control, you know, your your faith and in your own, um, you know, opinions and 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 prevent yourself from being biased in these positions. So yeah, so as you mentioned, there's a lot of talk about like, oh, it's not Canadian or it's not us or blah blah blah. This bill is about like visible symbols of faith, but when we're, what we're really talking about, it's not so much of like Christ, Christian people wearing crosses, right? It's it's more on kind of the 
I guess, less Western uh, religions that people see. So I'm just wondering, like, from your perspective, like, why are people so upset about seeing, you know, turbans or niqabs or hijabs? Like, like, what is it about these symbols that do you think people get riled up about? Um, I think it's when someone that doesn't look like you doesn't appear to seem to be the same as you there's this uh mask of differences that we might have between them between one another but you know when you get start to get to know people they might have a turban but you know they're just as passionate about teaching as me or they're just as passionate about serving you know canadians as me and you know and we've seen that with amrit as a teacher or Baltej as an rcmp officer um, you know, I'm sure he had colleagues that were were skeptical of of his commitment to the RCMP until they saw his work, and then they saw how, how you know how determined he was to be a, a phenomenal RCMP officer. So I think I think that's probably the number one thing is that visibly we're so different. And again, as you mentioned, this bill does disproportionately affect Muslim women and Sikhs who wear turbans because it's such an outwardly um, displayed religious symbol. And I don't like to use the word religious symbol all the time because I feel like religion is a term that we're sort of boxed into. You know, it's a Western concept. It's a concept that's created by folks, you know, who come from a Western ideal or Christianity background. And we're sort of boxed into these terms of, you know, religion, orthodox, Ten Commandments. There's these words that we're sort of adhering to, but it's not what our faith actually is sort of defined as. For example, Sikhism is a way of life. Uh, you know, the turban is actually, there's a lot of cultural symbol, symbolism. There's a lot of cultural aspects of wearing a turban. So if I was to say that I wear my turban for my culture, not my religion, do I, do I bypass the bill in Quebec? Right? Like the, these are the conversations we're having now is like, it, you know, what is your terms of, of, of reference for religion? Right. Um, what does it mean to be religious and to be cultural? It, and those those are the discussions that, you know, are, aren't even taking place because we've already dismissed the topic of, you know, even asking people of color of how this, um, yeah, how your appearance or how your turban plays a plays a role in your life. Like it's it's sort of not even acknowledged as a sick turban man. You know, what would you say to somebody who is in support of Bill 21? You know, the the bill is is having such an insane impact on people of color. I would ask anyone who's supporting Bill 21 to start looking at the impacts the bill has had on Islamophobia, on hate crimes, on hate acts, how this bill has seeped from being just places of authority to all positions. There's questions about if uh, healthcare workers can wear a turban. There's questions about if, you know, a city employee can have a turban. It, you know, the the stipulations that have gone from just positions of authority to all aspects of society. That's how quickly, you know, within a couple of years, we've seen this bill just, you know, sped, like speedily just turn into questions about just uh, positions of authority to now people are questioning, should we even have turbans in, you know, any jobs, any public job, any any work sector job? And so that's so dangerous. Is that the way we want to head as a society? That's the question that I pose back to folks that are just supporting Bill 21 is that um, look at the impact that this bill is having. And, and um, you know, that we would, me and Amrit attended an event in, in Quebec, uh, in Montreal that, um, you know, it, it comes up in the film, um, you know, they talk about how there's a rise in hate crimes and the police statistics, a rise in Islamophobia. And the questions that they were asking was, is it because people feel more comfortable 
you know, being openly racist, being openly supportive of, you know, dismissing people of color, dismissing uh, people who wear outwardly religious symbols because their government has said, you know, these folks don't deserve a place in our positions of authority. Like, at what point do you, st- it's a, such a slippery slope, right? Like, at what point do you stop this um, sort of profiling of you're, you can be trusted and you cannot be, right? So, um, I, and and that's what I would pose back is to just really recognize that how much of an impact this has had in terms of mental, physical, uh, you know, psychological, spiritual well-being for people of color in in Quebec, in your own province, you're harming your own citizens so heavily. And that's what I would pose back to people who support this bill. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a privilege to to be able to say that this bill doesn't affect me or I don't see the see the consequences of this. Trudeau said that the that Bill 21 does not foster discrimination. So in light of the tragedy in London, what are your thoughts on his comment and just where we are currently? Yeah, I think Bill 21 definitely did foster, you know, even um, sentiments in people for hatred and discrimination. There is a rise in Islamophobia, a rise in hate crimes, like the police statistics in Quebec are supporting this. And, you know, if we start looking at even just um, aside from that, like just folks that I know, uh, they, you know, they've noticed that they're being uh, targeted in public way more often now compared to when they were younger in Quebec. And, you know, um, my friends who are attending university, you know, being hollered at in the train, being yelled at in public, like there is a lot, a lot they're, fe- they're feeling it personally more as well. Um, you know, to say that this bill isn't striking, isn't causing these, these altercations, isn't, isn't you know, it, it's just, uh, I think this bill definitely did open the floodgates to let people, you know, openly chime in on, uh, you know, what it means to be a Quebecer, what it means to be a Canadian. Like there's these conversations that are now taking place that, you know, if you don't want to follow our rules and legislation, then you don't have to be here. And that's harmful as well. You know, othering people saying that if you don't like this, you don't belong here, you know, make do with it. And just because, you know, we might be a minority, but you know, we still play a strong role in Canadian society. We still take up space in Canadian society. We still need to be respected. We still need to be, you know, adhere and hear, hear out our opinions. So <clears throat> I think that's the part that I would I would say, like, the, the Bill 21 is really connected to the experiences of people of color. It's just, it, it's just what we've witnessed. It's what I've seen. And in my perspective, uh, I would say that uh, it is very much tied to um, you know, uh, discrimination, racism, and, um, you know, being, being given the space and the opportunity to, um, allow for this hatred and discrimination to continue to take place. And, and like we talked about, obviously bill 21 is, is in Quebec, but I think the, this is front of mind for so many people, given the events in, in London this past week, um, and I, I, I want to know your your thoughts on that, I guess, that the idea that, you know, we like to, as a country, talk about how Quebec is, you know, an anomaly or Quebec has, you know, they have their own values and there there's certain things that are involved with being a Quebecer, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think these values or these sentiments exist across the country and we've seen that. Um so I guess, yeah, how, what are the ramifications, I think, across the country, in your opinion, and even just permitting uh, something like this or permitting these thoughts or values to, to exist in Quebec? Yeah, I would say 
<clears throat> first off, I give my heartfelt condolences to the family that was impacted in London and, you know, the nine-year-old child that is left devastated because of a terrorist hate crime. Um, and it's just so heartbreaking to see that um, <clears throat> in Canada. And, you know, we it, it, it's, it's um, without saying that, you know, we can act surprised, we can act shocked, but it, it really isn't a, a shock for me. You know, it's something that I'm so... Um, I've subjected to, I feel it. And as a person of color, I can't say this is a shock. It's not an anomaly in Canada. It's something that very prevalently, you know, uh, prominently takes place on a daily basis, whether it's microaggressions, whether it's a small scale, or it's someone that's full on, full fledged, you know, uh, committing an act of terrorism. Um, it, you know, it's so, so common. It takes place almost every single day. And it is just, yeah, you know, that that conversation is connected to Bill 21. I feel like there is so many questions that we need to pose that, you know, if if we're allowing those conversations in Quebec to take place, how does this continue forward in other provinces? Do we see these similar bills take place in other, in other provinces and other places? Um, you know, and just I, I feel like the the rise in in hate crimes and Islamophobia and folks who are openly um, violent, openly aggressive, openly racist. Um, it's it's just so harmful. It's so you're just it's so taken aback by it, right? Um, and so I think I think the attack in London is is something that we need to have a call to action. Have have these discussions and conversations take place, um, not just with politicians, but with our community leaders, with our you know our educators, our, our universities, and many different spaces. These conversations need to take place at all levels. Um, how can we stem this hatred? How can we stem this discrimination? How can we stem, you know, these acts of hatred and violence perpetrated against people of color? Um, you know, Black Lives Matter and many other movements have been helping this movement quite a bit, having these conversations. And I think um, as people of color, um, as other, uh, you know, uh, Indigenous folks, as, as other, as Canadian, Canadians in general, we need to be allies with one another to have these conversations. We need to recognize each other as Canadians and have, have these conversations with one another. So uh, just throwing it back to you for kind of last thoughts on, I guess, this, this entire discussion, obviously, uh, Bill 21 is still around. It's just something that's not been in headlines in, in recent months. I'm hoping that this conversation sparks back up again because it is such an important one. But yeah, any final thoughts on kind of the way that the attention has shifted away from this or um, just the broader conversations that need to be had? Yeah, so just in context of COVID, there was a lot of protests taking place just before COVID happened. So the pandemic really um, curbed the movement that was taking place in Quebec. You know, there was almost daily protests and and, and weekly protests taking place in Quebec Um you know, a lot of the community members were gearing up for, um, you know, more events, press conferences, staying constant in the media and just being sort of sidelined during the pandemic has been so harmful to the folks who have been trying to make this issue prominent. So, um, you know, I, I would, my biggest ask is to understand and research the bill, you know, find out what's going on in Quebec and watch the documentary. I think that in itself will show you the emotions of 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 fellow Canadians and how they how they were impacted by the bill. Um, 
you know, the, the implications the bill has had on them, their families, their friends, and how deeply rooted this bill has really been for people of color in Quebec. So, um, yeah, I would say that, you know, this is an opportunity now as we're sort of we're coming out of COVID to start highlighting these issues that we've we've seen pre-pandemic sort of get curbed. And I, I really do hope that, you know, these conversations are sparked and that we start talking about these uh, issues once again, because these discussions are so, so important. And I think as a Canadian, it's our duty almost to, you know, support our fellow Canadians in Quebec. You know, they're also our community members. They're also our family. Just because I'm in Alberta, sorry, just because I'm in Alberta, I it doesn't mean I don't care about Quebec or don't care about my community members in Quebec, you know. So uh, sometimes it feels like we're isolated. We're in silos. We're doing our own thing in our own world we go to work we go do through our daily lives and it's just sort of time flying by so i think it's just taking that little bit of time and recognizing you know how important this issue is and giving it that time of day giving it that reflection and you know sharing your support whether it's on social media you know tweeting sharing stories um you know following people of color who are you know leaders in the community taking action on this? I think that would be very helpful. Um, hearing their perspective and their side on this issue. So, and that would be my my sort of last uh, comment on this. Amazing! Thank you so much, Stephen, for joining us for having this conversation. And and definitely, this won't be the the last time we're going to be talking about this issue. As you mentioned, this is something that these sentiments are are deeper than just one bill, and that's why we need to continue this conversation. So, thank you so so much for joining us. WTF, everybody. What the fork is up, Ramnik? What the fork? I, you know, I got a, I got a what the fork for you. So our first what the fork is vaccine sharing, y'all. So our prime minister, Justin Trudeau, he is currently in England under the gray, gloomy skies with the other G7 leaders. And this morning, it was announced by the government that Canada will finally be sharing 100 million doses of COVID vaccines with poorer nations. Finally. Because as of yesterday, Trudeau was the only leader of the G7 summit uh, nations who had not promised anything. And that was truly embarrassing for us to know, to read the headlines. Just so embarrassing. And you might be wondering, vaccine sharing, who cares? We seem to be doing well. Like, why do we need to continue with this vaccine talk? Well, about a month ago, uh, the WHO chief called out rich countries for pretty much clearing out all the vaccine shelves. We were buying too much. We were taking too much. And it was leaving a lot of poorer nations very vulnerable. In fact, uh, there was reporting from the New York Times that found where poor nations could vaccinate a maximum of 20% of their population in 2021, some of the world's richest countries had already reserved enough doses to immunize their own multiple times over. And Ramnik, when I found out how many times over Canada had, I was shocked because... One Canada director, Stuart uh, Hickox, told Global News early June that Canada has bought more vaccines than anyone in the world, enough to vaccinate Canadians five times. We have a plethora of vaccines, more than we need. And somehow Trudeau was very hesitant 
to make an announcement about sharing vaccines when so many countries across the world right now are still going through third and fourth waves that that are just ruining people's lives and taking away people's lives because we rich countries are blocking access to their to a life that they could have if they were all vaccinated. WTF Trudeau took you long enough. Okay, so I'm really excited about this one. And I saw it on Twitter yesterday and I was immediately pumped up. This one is about much music. Now, if you don't know much music, I'm going to take you on a trip down memory lane young people, all right? Much Music is an iconic Canadian music broadcaster from back in the day. And by back in the day, we mean back in our day. And we're not old, but just taking a trip down memory lane really is nostalgic for me. Much Music is teaming up with TikTok for a relaunch as a content-driven digital-first network. So for those who don't know, Much Music, similar to MTV, was known for a lot of its fun music shows, playing music videos, giving us new things to talk about in the music scene and the celebrity arts and culture scene. I thought I was going to be a much music VJ one day. Like that was definitely on the radar for me. But it was the place where people were getting all of the latest music information. It was the place to watch all things that were cool and popping. And now it's coming to TikTok. And I think this is such a smart move on their part because we live on TikTok, even as young millennials, older millennials, Gen Z is on TikTok. So that's where you know if cool people are on it, Gen Z are on it. And getting Gen Z onto much music and getting them back into this culture of consuming music, which I think we all consume music, but I think because, you know, we haven't been able to go to concerts or we haven't been able to gather, it's kind of changed a little bit over the last year and a half. And now Gen Zs get to access a lot of this 2000 mid 2000s memories that so many of us grew up on and loved. So I think it's brilliant. I think it's a smart business decision. I think to be able to watch some of these uh, moments from our favorite shows is just wonderful. And I, for one, say thank you. So it's a positive WTF today. Thank you much music because I needed some nostalgia to keep me going. <laughs> Maybe we can we can be be um TikTok creators for much music. Who's to say? And the last WTF for today is hashtag cancel Canada Day. Yeah, it's June, but Canada Day is approaching and Victoria City Council in BC recently announced that Canada Day is canceled. Goodbye, farewell. She is no longer here for this year. And this news comes in light of the unmarked grave where the remains of 215 Indigenous children were found at the former Kamloops Indian Residential School. The city uh, had planned a virtual celebration, actually, but it said that, it, quote, it will produce something for broadcast later this summer featuring local artists and guided by local First Nations. All sounds cool. All sounds dandy, sounds pretty respectful and intuitive to what's happening and, and, and the grieving of communities. But this is where it gets kind of weird. So in addition to this announcement, the Victoria mayor, Lisa Helps, said that Canadians can still acknowledge the day in their own way, 
but the city wants to provide an opportunity for thoughtful reflection and examination of what it truly means to be Canadian. And this is where I was lost because how do you celebrate Canada Day when Canada Day, the implication of what we are celebrating is the genocide of Indigenous peoples on Turtle Island. So I found it to be a paradox, maybe helps thought that it was a balance between quote unquote Canadians, settler people in this country and indigenous First Nations. I don't know. I thought it was very strange. And I think another point is, or another question that we should be asking is, if the pandemic wasn't a thing, would this response have been the same? Would cities, not just Victoria, but just any any other city council that's deciding to not hold celebrations on Canada Day, would they have been as quote unquote respectful of not having a celebration. I don't know. I think, you know, an in-person situation might have garnered a different reality. I think people maybe not maybe would not have been as polite or PRE in what they want Canada Day to be like. So I don't know. It's weird to me. To celebrate a day of genocide, it's weird. And on that note, actually, we talked about this in a previous episode from season one uh, about what land does Parliament Hill stand on? It is stolen land. And we talked about not only the land that this country is on or this Canada, quote unquote, Canada is founded on, um, but also the ways that we do uphold this idea of this country and the way it's so again, benevolent and welcoming, uh, despite the fact that we are quite literally on stolen land. So listen to that episode for more on this conversation and we'll see you tomorrow. This episode was produced by Romnique Johal, Carol Eugene Park, that's me, and Brayla Kwan. Decomplicated is a product of Overstory Media Group. Bye. <laughs>